0: would I please ask you, could I ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 1? Matthew chapter 1. One blessing of being able to go to Bible conferences is that you get to sit and listen to messages and have ideas for messages pop into your mind. And so as I was listening so one of the preachers preach and a name was mentioned, I had a thought and um, that's what I thought I would do this morning. I think it's relevant Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 16 to 21, and I'm aware that today is not Christmas Day. (laughs) Matthew chapter 1 and verse 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or privately Our Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's table this morning. We thank you that we could remember our Lord in that way. Uh, We ask now that as we open your word together, help us, uh, Lord, to be able to enjoy the things that we read. Help us to, uh, Lord, see wondrous examples. Help us to see, Lord, the reasons for which you have preserved your word. And I pray that the Holy Spirit might move freely both in preacher and hearer this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are defenders of the virgin birth. Uh, we count that doctrine as an important doctrine. And we know that that is a doctrine that is often under fire uh, in those who are liberal Christians and also those who are skeptical of Christianity entirely. The virgin birth is often under fire. And so we are quick to defend Mary involved in Mary's involvement in Jesus' birth And we are quick to dismiss Joseph's involvement in Jesus' birth. And I think as a consequence, Joseph is often minimized. uh, And probably rightly so. There are important things, much more important than the role of Joseph, that we need to emphasize when it comes to the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, After all, Joseph was not Jesus' real father. Uh, He possibly even died before the time of the crucifixion based upon the way that things played out at the foot of the cross and the lack of references to Joseph in a number of key passages. We often think perhaps that Jesus is very important. Uh, Mary is rather important, but Joseph is just Joseph. (laughs) It's just the other part of the story who necessarily has to fit in. But Joseph plays quite an important part in the early life of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if anyone else had played such an important part in this life, who wasn't, trying, who wasn't by necessity being minimized for doctrinal reasons, we would note that this was quite an important part that they played. And so I think that it's right of us to notice the part that Joseph had in the life of Jesus Christ. God clearly shows us some admirable traits of Joseph. And so this morning I want to talk about just Joseph. Was he really just Joseph? Well, that's the first point just Joseph. Let's read again verses 18 to 20. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as Mary, or sorry, when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Joseph and Mary were espoused. Now, espoused means that they were not fully married yet, but they were promised to each other. And we might think, well, they were engaged. Well, sort of they were engaged. It's a little bit different in the Jewish economy of marriage. It's different because they're called husband and wife. Notice in verse 20, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. Why would he call Mary his wife if they were already married? Well, it's because betrothal in the Jewish system was a lot more involved than engagement in our present system. Let me read a quote to you from Hendrickson, who sums it up well. Betrothal among the Jews must not be confused with present-day engagement. It was far more serious and binding. The bridegroom and bride pledged their troth to each other in the presence of witnesses, In a restricted sense, this was essentially the marriage. Though the two were now legally espoused, it was considered proper that an interval of time elapsed before husband and wife begin to live together in the same home. Now, it was before Joseph and Mary had begun thus to live together, with all this implies, both as to domestic and sexual relations, that Mary discovered her pregnancy. In this period, before they come together as husband and wife and live together, they are espoused and Mary is found with child of the Holy Ghost. But Joseph is not aware of the Holy Ghost part of the story yet. All he's aware of is that Mary is found with child. To him, Mary had become pregnant And he had known all of his activities over the important period of time. And there could be only one explanation in his mind for how Mary could have become pregnant. Can you imagine that conversation between Mary and Joseph before Joseph knew what was going on? Can you imagine the friction, the issue that had arisen in their relationship? Imagine Mary trying to convince Joseph of something that even God said had never, ever been seen before. <laughs> Imagine the difficulty in Mary of trying to convince Joseph of this thing. But you know, in this place, even before Joseph knows what's going on, we see his character. Because in verse 19 we read, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away Privily. Now we might say, yeah, well, Joseph's trying to do the right thing because he knows that this is something that God's done, but he doesn't know that yet. Joseph has no idea that that's what has happened. He did this assuming the worst. This is the basis upon which he acted. Now, if a Jewish man wanted to do things lawfully by the law of God in the Old Testament, he had two options of terminating a betrothal. There were two ways of stopping things and that probably would have been the right thing to do in this situation, the lawful thing to do. He could either choose to publicly divorce his, what we might call, fiancé or he could privately divorce his fiancé. A public divorcement meant definite shame and depending on how the law was practiced in this day and age, possibly death. For Mary. So if Joseph went the public route, then Mary was going to be shamed and possibly worse. We can't say for certain because not all of these things were still practiced. The private possibility was that Joseph would write Mary a bill of divorcement, and he could either state or leave anon or leave empty the cause for that divorcement and then provide that to Mary and say, here, this ends our relationship, that's it. Now, in that situation, what I want us to see this morning is that it would have been very tempting for Joseph to take vengeance. Think about what's in Joseph's mind at this time and think about what he's assuming has happened. What would he have wanted to do to Mary? What would he have wanted to do to take out his hurt, to seek the revenge? At that time, Joseph thinks something has happened. What would we have wanted to do? But we read here that Joseph was just, and that's the reason for the title of the message. He wasn't just Joseph. He was Joseph the Just. He wanted to do things right. And he wanted to be kind to Mary in the process. And I think that's remarkable that he wanted to be kind in going through this process. In a moment of hurt, Joseph was just and not vengeful. Also, notice in verse 20, it says, but while he thought on these things, and we skip off into the rest of the verse, but think about that for a moment, while he thought on these On these things. Do you know that's something often lacking in situations like this? People don't think about how they're going to respond, they just respond. Joseph took time to think about the right course of action. What am I going to do here? What's the right thing to do in this situation? What do I want to do and how's it going to affect Mary? How's it going to affect me? How's it going to affect my relationship with the Lord and my practice of the law of God? How am I going to think through all these things and do the right sort of decision? Joseph was in a situation probably of anger and hurt and he decided to take time to think and to act justly. Now to show us what this meant, I want you to think just for a moment, what could Joseph have done? What were the avenues open to him at this moment? Well, think about it in our own day and age. In 2019, if this situation played out, what do people do? What steps do people take in these sorts of situations? They may result to assault, verbal abuse, physical assault, sexual assault, This is a a regular cause of these things. Public humiliation, whether in person, among a friendship group, on social media, taking to whatever whatever avenue, whatever road is open to you to embarrassing the person that you feel hurt by. It happens all the time. I was reading an article just this week about how you can hire someone to find out dirt or just to Photoshop or um, edit a video of somebody else and then publish it on the internet to embarrass them in front of everyone. So if you've got a boss that's mistreated you at work, or if you've got a partner who has embarrassed you or cheated on you or something, then you can go and you can employ someone and you can pay them money to publicly humiliate them on social media, whether you post a video to all of their friends on email, or turn up at their work site and put flyers up around the worksite. There's people who make money from revenge. But you know what, the triggers required to set someone off into revenge and anger are really a lot less than that now, aren't they? It probably was in this day as well, but we see it all the time in our own day and age where people are getting hugely off in their minds. They're set off in rage because someone cuts them off on the road or because somebody is different looking to them or has a different culture to them. Because somebody tries to stand up for something, all of a sudden everybody else gets around and they pour hate upon them. It might just be because they think they're asking too much for a squishy little toy from a supermarket So they take to the internet and they shame them and they hate them in front of everybody. Only people would be just and think on things like Joseph did before they act. You know, I think God was right in choosing Joseph to be the foster father for Jesus Christ. I think God made a wise decision. Don't you think God would have thought about that? I think God planned the coming of Jesus Christ quite well, don't you? In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, specifically that woman. And do you think he knew who the father was going to be? I think he did. Joseph was a good choice, but you know, Joseph is more than that. Joseph is a challenge to us, and we need to take that this morning. James chapter 1 verses 19 and 20. Let's have a look there. James chapter 1 verses 19 and 20. James 1.19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath." For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. God honored Joseph in his choices for being slow to wrath. You can see him, he's listening to the situation, he's thinking about the right course of action, he's slow to wrath. And he chooses to be just in the face of a very tempting situation, (laughs) tempting to his anger, to his pain. There's an interesting point here that James makes in James chapter 1 and verse 20. He says, "For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God." James notes that our personal wrath will not achieve the righteousness of God or God's will for our lives. Working out our anger is not what achieves God's plan for your life we can more effectively work righteousness without anger. If we exclude anger from what we're doing, we're going to do a better job of coming to God's will. We should be slow to anger then. If anger is getting in the way and mess things up a lot, then we need to take our time choosing whether or not to become anger in the hope, not just that we'll slowly get to wrath every single time, but by taking things slow to getting to wrath, we might choose sometimes not to go there at all. If I'm slow enough to wrath, I might eventually choose not to be angry. Let's have a look at Romans chapter 12. It's another reference that I think is relevant to Joseph. Romans chapter 12, verses 19 to 21. Romans chapter 12 and verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, Newton's third law is for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And I think that that's relevant to this idea of repaying uh, anger with anger, repaying evil with evil, because Christians don't have to have the same kind of reaction to those who have action towards us. Just because someone shows wrath towards me doesn't mean I need to put Newton's third law into action and practice anger towards them. It's a physical law and it's true. What we can do as Christians is choose to replace our reaction. I think Newton's third law, if you allow me some liberty here, I think it's still relevant to the Christian heart. I think it's something we still need to deal with because when someone shows anger or wrath or wickedness towards us, We have to react because we want to react, don't we? We want to react with anger. (laughs) We want to react in the wrong way. And I think what we need to do is we need to replace the reaction with a substitute. We need to allow love to take the place of our angry response. We need to make sure that there is an equal and opposite reaction to that reaction, but it needs to be replaced with something else or perhaps minimized with something else. Sometimes it's right to say, hey, I'm not happy with you doing that. You can't do that. But rather than me show the same hatred in my action as that person showed, I need to show my disapproval, but I need to curb it with love. Add love to my reaction and I won't go to the same lengths of evil. And it says, there's that interesting verse there in Romans chapter 12, verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. So, yeah, that's right. Love them and burn their hair off. That's what I want to do. <laughs> I'm going to do something that makes them suffer. But the pain that's caused here is not, is not the kind of pain of revenge. That's not what God's talking about. The pain that is caused here is probably the pain that comes about as a result of guilt. And a realisation of what the person has really done. Guilt and embarrassment at their own action. Because an evil or an angry act is shown to be just that when it is contrasted with love. If someone does something angry towards me and I don't do something back angry towards them, but instead I show them love, it helps them to see their own anger And they get angry with themselves oftentimes because of what they've done, hopefully. If they don't, it's still our responsibility, isn't it, to act the way that God would have us to act. Responding in love will heap coals of fire upon their head, hopefully helping them to be indignant towards themselves. Or at least to realize the difference between their actions and my actions. You have to show that there's a different way to respond to situations if we want people ever to change. One poet put it this way. In a comparison, this is a comparison between um, he- heaping coals of fire upon the head of a person and putting uh, metals uh, under intense heat for their purification. Okay, like uh, heating up a metal so that all the impurities are brought out of it. One poet puts it like this. So artists melt the sullen ore of lead. By heaping coals of fire upon its head, in the kind warmth the metals learn to glow, and pure from dross the silver runs below. The idea is that by showing love towards someone, we help them to realize the wrongness of their action, so that they will turn from their action or at least be convicted of it. Now, the prob- when we think about it this way, the problem with us responding in like manner or giving evil for evil, the problem with that is that we withhold from them the opportunity for conviction. If you refuse to act in love towards someone who has acted in hatred towards you, then you, miss, you cause them to miss out on that contrast to see where their actions look different to your actions i don't know if you've noticed but the holy spirit does a lot better job of convicting people than we do have you noticed that yeah i've noticed that the holy spirit can get into my heart and affect me in ways that you can't (laughs) and so if i'm evil towards you and you're evil straight back towards me i might not notice what i've done as much but if you show kindness back to me and love, it's going to help me see how bad what I did to you was. <laughs> and then the Holy Spirit's going to get a hold of that and I'm in a whole world of trouble then. <laughs> you know, God does this with us all the time. This is how God treats us. We read in our Lord's Table Thought, Romans 5.8, that God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, before I was saved, I used God's word, God's name as a swear word. Before I was saved, I went and did things that I knew that God wouldn't want me to do. Before I was saved, I told lies to the parents that God gave me and he told me to honor and to obey. I did all of these things before I was saved. And do you know what God did for me? Gave me, gave me, gave me, sent his son to die for me. And then when finally I decided I can't live like this, I need to be forgiven for what I've done. God was willing to say, yeah, I'll accept you. Isn't that amazing? And doesn't that make you feel horrible for your sin? When God is willing to treat us in that way. Now, this is the way that God seeks out sinners. He does it by love, doesn't he? A love in warning about the necessity and the coming judgment, but also a love in showing how many gracious things that he's done for us without us doing anything for him. And so instead of bursting into anger, God wants us to be just and to think things through before just lashing out. And so he's not just Joseph, he is Joseph the just. And perhaps we should think about him like that a little bit more. There's one more thing that I want to bring to your attention. It's a lot um, quicker than the first point with relation to Joseph. And it's got to do with Joseph's actions after he finds the truth. Let's have a look in Matthew chapter 1 verses 24 and 25. Matthew chapter 1 verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. And knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. And so having understood the situation now, the angel has come and has explained to Joseph everything that's taken place, uh, that Mary has not been unfaithful to him, but in actual fact, this is a miracle of God, something that has never been done before. And he's told, Joseph, you, you need to go and take unto you Mary, which is what you want to do anyway, the angel observes. And so Joseph does this, he rises, he goes and he takes under him his wife and it says that he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, which is Jesus, and called his name that. Now having understood this situation, Joseph does what he's called to do, he takes his wife to himself and he calls the baby Jesus and We know that this is at some personal cost because when he takes his wife, it is only Mary and Joseph and perhaps Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, who actually know the truth about the situation. Joseph knows, Mary knows, so now Joseph has got no problem with what has happened with Mary, but everybody else in their community, their neighbors, their family, the people they walk past in the street, they don't know. But in deciding to do what the angel tells Joseph to do, Joseph is willing to accept that. He's willing to be married to Mary and enjoy that marriage with Mary despite all of the things that people are going to say about Mary and Joseph. And did they say those things? Yes, they did. We see all through the rest of the scriptures that Jesus is spoken about as being Joseph's son. And what does that imply for the relationship that Mary had? with Joseph before the time of their marriage. You see, Joseph's step here is a step of acceptance. He's willing to do it despite some personal cost to himself. And it says also in verse 25, and he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. I think this shows us something else about Joseph and Mary as well. They were prepared to show self-control and care During that time of Mary's pregnancy, despite what others might certainly say, despite what they were being blamed for anyway, they decided to wait until Jesus was born. Joseph was faithful to the Lord, even though, and I don't know if you've noticed, but they were not actually asked to wait to, stop, to not be husband and wife in that sense until the birth of Jesus. There was no instruction for that from the angel. But it was something that they felt, obviously. Perhaps it's something that's not stated here, but that's something they decided to do. Joseph was faithful to the Lord. Joseph played a noble role in the birth of Jesus Christ. And you know what? He did this not by being Jesus' genetic father. That wasn't what it was required to be a blessing in the life of Jesus Christ. It wasn't by being Mary's husband in the usual sense of the word because it, he wasn't yet, was he? He was a great blessing both to Mary and to Jesus and to the plan of God in the, role that he had, he had, in the role that he had at that time. We see by Joseph's choices that he put God's will above his own interests and I think we can respect him for that. made me think of the contrast between Joseph and those people who are lifted up in our own culture. In an era like ours, there is a lot of attention for those who flaunt their lack of self-control. That's often what they're famous for, is not having self-control and not caring about it. (laughs) Those who um, express their hatred of principles, of being conservative, those people often suffer for it. For the sake of his faith, Joseph was prepared to suffer. And you know what? It is a blessing. It is still a blessing to see people going without what they could take for themselves and what would be personally gratifying for themselves for the sake of God's will and for the sake of the principles of God's word. And do you know what? I'm encouraged by people that I see as brethren in the Lord making these choices regularly. Those people who will be willing to take a public stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, even though other people talk about them. I'm encouraged to see the way that some of you guys do that in your workplaces. It's a blessing. It's encouraging to see how people are willing to overlook the financial opportunities that are presented before them for the sake of being willing to be participant in the ministry. That's a blessing. For those people who decide to remain single because they choose not to Uh, enter into a relationship with someone that they know that God doesn't want them to be with that's a blessing and I've been blessed by a number of people here who've made that choice every time someone chooses to go without for the sake of the will of God it encourages us doesn't it it's wonderful to see other people who are willing to do that and I hope that it encourages us one another to do the same thing Luke chapter 14 and verse 33, I'll just read this to you. This expresses to us that this is not an exception. This is not what an A plus Christian looks like. This is the basic requirement for a disciple of Jesus Christ. It says in Luke fourteen thirty-three. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. That's what's required of all of us, brethren, to put what God wants above what we want. Joseph showed himself to be a disciple of the Lord, who would turn out to be his foster son, interestingly. (laughs) There is nothing too big for us to sacrifice for the Lord, because there was nothing too big for him to sacrifice for us. This is what it means for us to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Joseph was willing to do what was right, even if it came at some personal cost. And so he's not just Joseph. The omniscient God who sent his son into the world in the fullness of time was not ignorant of the father of the family that he planted him in. He is a worthy example of anger management and of lust management. And these are two things that we all struggle with and that fathers are infamous for struggling with. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time this morning. We thank you that we can look at an example, Lord, that just changes our minds about the way that we should look at our life. Help us to see in ourselves that we respect someone like Joseph. And help us to recognize, Lord, that that's the way we want other people to think about us. Lord, may we be willing to forego those things that appeal to ourselves, that we might be able to stand for those things that you want us to do as your disciples. Lord, help us to be willing to pay the cost. We thank you for our day, Lord. We pray that you would continue to bless us. And uh, Lord, bless the closing of our service. In Jesus' name, amen.